Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, we're keeping things light on Minnesota Matters. Tasha Radel gives us a taste of how lutefisk has become a tradition for many Minnesota families, whether they like it or not. Mike Grimm has a heartwarming story about the Minnesota Gopher football player who's making a difference for local children spending their holidays in the hospital. And I talk with a well-known local music writer about the music of holidays past, present, and future. But first, this is, in many ways, the season to be nostalgic. Christmas brings this on. New Year's is perhaps the time more than any other when we look back and remember. One holiday memory that many Minnesotans, middle-aged and older, share is Dayton's department store in downtown Minneapolis. The recent passing of one of its visionaries prompted these observations from MNN's Bill Werner. It was a week and a day before the official kickoff of the holiday shopping season at a church five blocks from the old flagship store. that Minnesotans said farewell to a man who created memories for many of us. Department store magnate Bruce Bliss Dayton was born in 1918, and his son, Governor Mark Dayton, remembered. My brother Brant recalls morning walks with my father singing, Oh, what a beautiful morning. What a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going Dad and his brothers filled their stores not only with the best merchandise sold at the best values, but also with the beauty they found in nature and the vibrancy they felt in life. The store featured jubilee sales, daisy sales, spring garden shows, eighth floor rainforests, art galleries, and bright window displays along Nicollet Avenue. People like Dayton's. Yes, they did. A child, this child, in fact, would be brought through the huge and mysterious city to the epicenter of all that hustle and bustle. And there was the fabulous building reaching for the sky, 12 stories, packed with many things not yet met. Where should, where could one start in that block-square edifice that held everything from books on musty shelves to cuckoo clocks to smart clothes that I was too young to care about? My favorite was the furniture department on the seventh floor, the whole floor, where a child, after rising through innumerable levels on escalators giving quick glimpses of delight, could wander off back into aisles and alleys, perching on sofas and chairs fit for kings among fine paintings, listening to grand music, and then choose from endless offerings, be it fussy Victorian or minimalist Scandinavian, how one would arrange the attire of one's own domicile to come and plan years not yet arrived as the adults downstairs aimed for the moon and strove to be free. Well, much is different now, and indeed it should be. But the present-day bustle on the skyways and the stores of the new millennium, stocked by trained experts and computer algorithms, they are not the same. 
For certain, it is because we have all changed, grown up, assumed the responsibilities of adulthood. But I think it is also because those places now gone were built and made alive by those people who lived through a Great Depression, which ushered in a terrible war. And then, having fulfilled their sacred obligation, they assumed yet another, and with hard work, grasped the cusp of halcyon days, freely giving its fruits to their offspring. The book of that generation they begat is mostly filled now, but it remains to be seen how those children write the final pages. More Minnesota Matters after this. Hey, it's Flint Lockwood here from Swallow Falls. My friends and I have just discovered these amazing living foodimals. But wait, we've also discovered a crisis that needs our help. According to my calculations, one in five kids in America struggles with hunger. That's almost 17 million kids. Our mission is to help solve hunger by teaming up with the Feeding America Network to get food to kids facing hunger in communities across the country. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks, helping connect children and families who face hunger to billions of pounds of food, reaching shelters, schools, and community centers in every county in America, including yours. Help Flint and the Feeding America network of food banks get food to the people who need it in your community. Find your local Feeding America food bank at feedingamerica.org hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. For many Minnesotans, eating lutefisk is a tradition. In Tasha Radel's family, the Christmas tradition continues and has been passed on for several generations. Ever since I can remember, my grandma Foos would serve lutefisk every Christmas Eve. To this day, I still eat it, but have always wondered how exactly Santa's blubber made it on my plate. So who better to ask than my grandma? I don't know. I'm Swedish, and I love lutefisk. Uh, I look forward to every Christmas. I remember my mom putting it in um, cloth, wrapped it in that, and boiled it in the deep hot water. Not for very long. You don't want soggy lutefisk. Just so it's very nice and tender. Keep it hot in hot butter, salt, and pepper. Now, I can understand my dad and aunt having to eat lutefisk, but why me? Well, I asked my dad. Because it is a tradition. When I was little, I had to do it. (laughs) To this day, I really don't exactly know what lutefisk is. I just remember being little and knew that if I ate it all, Santa would show up at Grandma's shortly after. I hate to admit this, but to this day, I simply call lutefisk Santa's blubber. So 42 years later, I asked my dad, what the heck? is lutefisk. It's a cod fish and when the immigrants were on the ships they stored it in lye so it would preserve itself. Do you remember the first time you ate lutefisk dad? Oh very well it wasn't good. (laughs) It was a little mushy, a little slimy but grandma she was a good cook so she could make anything taste good. I asked my aunt Janelle the same question. I took one bite and got as much melted butter on it as possible, put it in my mouth and swallowed it before I knew what I was doing. (laughs) 
it made me feel part of the family. <laughs> My cousin Chris also recalls his first time eating lutefisk. I think the first time maybe I can think of is back at Grandma's original house. I remember everybody talking about it, ranting and raving, that this is supposed to be something so special, so good, so something so nobody's ever had before. And as soon as it hit the table, nobody wanted to touch it. All the kids had to try it, no questions asked. So we did, and it was like rubber, gelatin, nasty. And it didn't matter what we thought, we needed to eat more. And the lutefisk tasting doesn't end with the grandkids. The in-laws have to eat it, too. Chris's wife, Sally, had this to say about the family tradition. All lutefisk is the yum-yum. <laughs> Shake some Tabasco sauce on it. Put it down. Swallow. Hold your nose. There it goes. Merry Christmas. Another interesting fact you may not know is 35 years ago, Madison, Minnesota, became the lutefisk capital of the world. Joining me now to explain how this came about is Maynard Meyer with KLQP Radio in Madison. The Chamber of Commerce decided to declare Madison the lutefisk capital of the world based on the fact that the people that sold lutefisk said the consumption was uh, per capita was greater in Madison than anywhere else in the their market areas. So the Chamber of Commerce at that time borrowed, I think, about $8,000 from the city and constructed a 25-foot uh, codfish out in the park on South Highway 75. It says Madison, Minnesota, Lutefisk capital of the USA, and declared themselves the Lutefisk capital, and uh, no one's uh, really challenged it to any great extent <laughs> <laughs> since that time. So, Oh, that is too funny. And do people, I mean, truly enjoy eating lutefisk in your neck of the woods? Well, there's still uh, quite a few that do. Uh, Lewisburg, uh, for example, this little town uh, north of Madison here, they have uh, one of the churches has a big lutefisk uh, supper every year where they sell only 100 tickets, and those sell out and just boom, just like that. And uh, we have uh, Chamber of Commerce has an event called Norse Fest, which is always the second uh, second weekend in November. And we have our uh, lutefisk dinner at that time, and then we have our lutefisk eating contest, which uh, our perennial champion uh, by the name of Jerry Osteris uh, never has any trouble uh, uh, defeating any all uh, challengers. He has eaten up to eight and a half pounds in one sitting. So, Are you serious? Yes, I am. That's eight and a half pounds is correct, yes. This, year, this year he only had to eat about four pounds to, oh, to my beat this challenger from down in Minneota, the only guy who can really keep up with him. So. Oh, my stars. I don't think I've even eaten eight and a half pounds in my whole entire life. I haven't eaten eight and a half ounces in my entire life myself. I, I, I tell people I promote it. I don't eat it. I grew up with it. My mother used to make it in our, I'm from a Scandinavian family, and my mother made it for for my dad, but she didn't really eat it either. So. And can I ask you why you don't like it? Uh, well, I like something that really smells good, you know, that I like a good steak on the grill that uh, kind of draws you into it instead of something that chases you out of the room the minute you smell it. <laughs> and uh, any advice for uh, folks that might try lutefisk uh, this, this Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> well, my, uh, sometimes I'd say my advice would be uh, to have the meatballs, but... <laughs> <laughs> Just don't try it. Yeah, no, I'd say give it a try. I've, I have eaten it, and... Uh, you know, I just uh, never developed a taste for it. I think it's one of those things, uh, like a lot of others, that uh, if you eat enough of it, uh, you, you'll uh, maybe develop a liking for it over a period of time. But uh, a lot of people just uh, try that first spoonful. It's just fun to watch because they just, uh, in fact, our uh, 
or Miss Madison, uh, who's a senior in high school, wanted to give it a try during our Lutefisk skating contest and uh, thought we were going to have to do CPR on her or something. <laughs> well, come on out and get in that Lutefisk skating contest now, Tasha. Oh, we, I don't know. We always need uh, some contestants. You know, I've always thought we should have a battle of... Uh, uh, media or something, you know, get some of the radio stations and things. So, you know, there's no reason that you couldn't come out for that. So, And you know what? I would give it an honest try. I really would. I eat it every year, but I don't think I could eat eight and a half pounds. Well, we've, we've got three categories. We've got uh, the guppies start with a quarter pound on their plate. The walleyes start with a half a pound on their plate. And the sharks, which is the big ones like Jerry, they start with a pound on their plate. Then you got like three minutes or five minutes to eat that amount and a three-minute break, five minutes to eat another pound or half a pound or quarter pound. So, so we can get you in the guppy division. You know what? Yeah. I would do it, but I have to ask, do I get melted butter, salt, and pepper? Uh, yep. yep. Awesome. All of that. So, yeah. I'll be there. I'll do it. We'll put you down. Well, you heard it here, Scott. I will be taking part in Madison's annual Ludafisk eating contest in 2016. Well, I better eat a little extra this Christmas and practice. Thanks, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. One University of Minnesota football player is trying to make a difference for youngsters spending time in the hospital this holiday week. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has the story of last year's Big Ten Punter of the Year, Mike. Scott, Peter Mortell is getting ready for next week's Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, where his Golden Gophers will take on Central Michigan. But first, he has spent most of his last two weeks trying to brighten the days of young people spending the holidays in the hospital. The fundraiser is still ongoing, so it's not too late to help. 
Mortel better explains how it all came about. Teamed up with some people over at the University of Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital and you know, we wanted to raise money for a cause that, uh, you know, often gets overlooked around this time of the year, and that's teenagers. You know, uh, a lot of people donate clothes and games and toys for for children, and as amazing as that is, you know, there's a demographic of people like these teenagers that get overlooked. But uh, I wanted to make sure that didn't happen this year. And we set a goal at $10,000, and, you know, we reached it within 12 hours. Wow. So that's just amazing, and the community here just continues to surprise me. So we've reset the goal. We're now hoping to get up to $25,000 and make it a special Christmas for a lot of the patients over there. This money then would be used to, to purchase presents so that each of these kids would have a wish list? Absolutely. We're going to get a wish list from everyone there, and we're going to do our best to fulfill everything on that list. For those kids, we're going to be spending their Christmas in a hospital room. You uh, kind of spawned this idea a year ago with your gift package from the Citrus Bowl, right? Absolutely. Yep. Take take me so through last, that. You guys each got gift year, cards. Yep. Last year we we were given a four hundred fifty dollars gift card to Best Buy, and I decided to use it to buy some gifts for kids at the St. Joseph's uh, Home for Shelter, Children's Home for Shelter, and um, you know what we did is we brought Christmas gifts to those guys, and they were so happy because they're they've been in tough situations where they've been removed from their homes and. To see smiles on all those kids' faces kind of inspired me to do something bigger this year. And I've gotten so much support and, and feedback from people from last year, even up to a few months ago, that I, you know, I really thought that we could do something big here this year, and they're proving me right. It's pretty neat. You're using uh, you know, your platform, and you've been in the news lately with uh, self-proclaimed holder of the year. you got some sports center time on that. Of course, I mean, you're legit. You're Big Ten punter of the year and all of that, but as a holder, you, uh, you, you have some fun on Twitter, and so you created your own award, and the next thing you know, you're on Sports Center. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, it was, it was self-proclaimed, but uh, it's definitely gotten a lot of, a lot of interest. I, I can't believe how many people have played along with that, and they're having as much fun with it as I did, so that's been a good ride. Anybody who's the holder of the year that asks for some money it should get some money. So take us through how folks can get uh, the, onto the webpage, donate the money to this. Again, this goes to the teenagers who are who are suffering from illnesses and, and those kind of things at the Masonic Children's Hospital on the U of M campus to get their Christmas wish list uh, uh, fulfilled. Uh, how, how can people donate? So the easiest way to do it would be to go to Z, as in zebra, dot U-M-N, dot edu slash peter mortell m-o-r-t-e-l-l and if uh, you want to go a different route you can go to my twitter page at p mortell 37 and it's in my last tweet i just like to say something that you know even if you're not in a position to donate right now please consider sharing the link because you may inspire someone to give a pen so I, I definitely thank you in advance for anyone who, who will bring in donations. We're making a difference this year, and, and it's going to be really special. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That if, if, if you're not in a spot, maybe you can give a few dollars. Retweet it. Uh, tweet that link out. Someone you know might be in a position to, to help out with the cause. Um, I know you guys as football players go visit the kids over there quite a bit. How, what kind of impact does that have on you and your teammates when you see you know, guys going, girls and guys going through some tough things? Yeah, for personally, for for me, uh, you know, I've developed a relationship with with one kid in particular. His name's Casey O'Brien, and you know, his dad's a coach on our football team, and I visited him at the hospital, and I would leave saying, you know, wow, to see what these kids and other teenagers go through here on a daily basis. You know, how do I have a right to complain about anything going on in my life? You know, so, 
So, uh, you know, my problems are so minuscule compared to the battles these kids are facing. And, and Casey, the toughest kid I know, even though he's younger than me, you know, I look up to him. So uh, I want to give back in any way that I can, and I hope everyone in the listening will join me. Yeah, and, and, and not just the kids, too, but I would think the families, and, and we know Dan and his wife, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, they're on the coaching staff and within the department and what they have to go through to see their kids go through it. I would think if uh, some of these youngsters uh, get some presents, get some nice gifts, and put a smile on the kids' face, the families get a little relieved and they get a little smile on their face as well. Absolutely, and even if it's temporary, you know, if, it, if it's a day or two that we can we can help them smile when normally this would be a pretty tough time for them, then then we've done our part and we can that we can give this uh, cause and this link and and start making a difference. Did I read right that uh, President Kaler made a nice uh, matching gift uh, when this thing got off the ground? Yeah, we you know what we've got a few big big matching gifts. First off, Karen Kaler and President Kaler. You know, so graciously, you know, donated up to a one thousand dollar match, which we reached. So they did that, and then uh, I actually got in touch with Rebecca and, and Coach Kill, and they did the same thing. So, nice. uh, you know, those two families have been instrumental in getting this thing off the ground, and and are both you know so important to this cause and respect it. And uh, I can't thank them enough. That's for sure. That's Golden Gopher punter Peter Mortel quite a story already more than twenty thousand dollars has been raised scott thank you mike more minnesota matters after this it's thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends started off with a pitcher for the table which quickly becomes two there's pool and there's the photo booth all right everybody squeeze in say cheese followed naturally by an order of wings and another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed, could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. For many of us, popular holiday music is an essential part of the holiday season. I recently spoke to Star Tribune music critic John Bream about how that tradition began, what makes a good holiday song, and why we keep coming back to the same songs, good and bad, year after year. When did pop stars start singing Christmas songs, or when did it become popular? Oh, I think it probably turned around when uh, White Christmas became a big hit from a movie for Bing Crosby. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And then after that, you know, these, these songs have just kind of blossomed and snowballed, so to speak. Um, and it seems like everyone records them. Seems like it's also spread across every genre as well. Yeah, I, I was listening the other day. I, I like to, in the car occasionally, listen to Soul Town, which is a serious XM station that plays old soul music. And it's like, how many versions of the Christmas song do I need to hear? 
Lionel Richie and Brian McKnight and Odd Infinitum. I mean, I'm happy with Mel Torme's version. That's enough. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose You know, that's a that's an interesting question as well, because some of the songs that you've mentioned here as far as White Christmas and talking about Mel Torme, uh, those are some older versions of these songs. What is it that makes a, a holiday song stand the test of time, in your opinion? Well, two things. One, it's the melody, and two, it's the message. You know, in regular pop songs, the message isn't always important. It's kind of the catchiness and and how it makes you feel, but the way Christmas and holiday songs make you feel is really important. So it's got to have a melody that you remember and a message that connects with people. It's got, it, you know, there's there's got to be more emotion in Christmas songs than there is in you know your everyday ordinary pop songs. For every good holiday song, or for every holiday song that succeeds with that criteria you just mentioned, there's probably ten or twenty that don't succeed. Uh, what are some of the strangest that you can think of that you've come across in your years as a uh, music listener and critic? Oh, where there's "Please, Daddy, Don't Get Drunk This Christmas." John Denver recorded that. <laughs> Elmo and Patsy, an old country duo, did "Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer." How about a more recent Kenny Chesney? All I want for Christmas is a real good tan. <laughs> and of course, for the Minnesotans out there, there's Yingle Bells by Yogi Jorgensen. A Yingle Bells, a Yingle Bells, a Yingling all the way. I should have worn long underwear in that one horse open sleigh. Are people still writing new holiday songs, and are they doing it successfully? Well, absolutely. Lots of people are writing new stuff. The problem is they're not getting widespread exposure. I think the last big um, Christmas, new Christmas hit was All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, and that's been around for a couple decades now, almost. But everyone's still writing new ones. I mean, there's a lot of local people that are writing new ones, and they're quite good ones. When I went to the New Standards concert, holiday concerts this season, uh, this year they had Dan Wilson, who used to be with Semisonic and has won Grammys for writing hits for the Dixie Chicks and Adele. And he played two brand-new Christmas songs that he had written. And one of them, I think it was called The Best Gift. The best gift you can give me for Christmas this year. And it was just about the best gift I can get is forgiveness. He wanted his partner to forgive him for, for being away so long. He wanted his kids to forgive him for being away so much because he travels and that sort of thing. And it was a sweet, sentimental song, and I'm thinking, boy, if he could get, oh, say, Garth Brooks or maybe his pal Adele to record it, that could be a big hit. Well, another quote-unquote Minnesota musician, Bob Dylan, just within the last couple of years put out a Christmas album, and I know that you're kind of a Dylan scholar. What were your thoughts on that album? I don't know that it was necessary for Bob Dylan to put out a Christmas album, but it was part of Dylan's sort of consistent um, pursuit of American music. But hearing a guy who's always had a dubious voice in many people's opinion, and now his voice is kind of croaky and raspy and or beyond musical redemption, uh, do a, an album of Christmas music was probably not a big turn-on for a lot of people, except for real hardcore Dylanologists. And another one, just on TV the other night, 
Brian Setzer, who lives in the Twin Cities, not originally from here, but he's lived here for a decade. And he's got a new Christmas musical song out that's a takeoff on the Flintstones. So it's a Yabba Dabba holiday song. We've mentioned uh, along the course of the interview a few of the songs that have appealed to you over the years, and as we wrap things up here, I'm just wondering, is there one in particular that uh, that melts your heart every year this time of year? Absolutely not. Um, I don't go for particular songs. I think it's more of who's singing the song. And, you know, we I've got hundreds and hundreds of Christmas albums, but uh, the family has a basket here. But the boombox, we're kind of old school, so we'll throw in five, six, whatever the, the the player takes, five, six albums at a time and put it on random shuffle and just let them come up. So, you know, whether it's it's Bing Crosby or Mel Torme or Charles Brown or Nat King Cole, it's more the singer than it is the song with me for Christmas songs. So I think if you mix it up rather than having one artist straight through, it becomes a more satisfying experience. And may all Christmases be well. That's going to do it for this week. On behalf of all of us here, happy holidays. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.